Amen. Man, I've missed you guys. It's good to see you all here back again. You guys ready for 2013? Yeah. Man, can you just put your hand over your heart and say, this will be a good year. Say that. This will be a good year. Man, let's let our lives make that true. Amen. Well, one of my goals between the uh, you know, kind of holiday time was uh, our office, which is about, uh, I don't know, nine or ten people or so. We're moving offices. We're moving into another suite a, a few floors up. And uh, the problem is, is that we've had all like, these really good ideas. And uh, ideas are great until you have to start paying for them. And it's like, this was such a good idea when we didn't have to write a check for it, you know? And, and so one of the things, we did custom floors and a few different things. And, and like we've gone through all of our ideas and we're like broke now on this project. And the last thing is like these baseboards. And I'm not a contractor. I don't, I mean, I sit behind a computer. I don't know what I'm doing with a hammer or anything. My wife can attest. And so I bought all these baseboards. I'm like, well, how hard can that be? And so I'm like trying to do it by myself. And, and in, the, in the office we're moving, it's, you know, I had a couple different people in it before us. And on the walls, there's, you know, stuff on the bottom. I'm like, the heck with that. You know, I'm going to put this baseboard on. It's like self-sticking. It's like the easiest thing you could do, right? Like peel and stick a baseboard. How hard could that be? And um, apparently very hard because anybody with the brain that knows what they're doing in this kind of space knows that you need to take off all the crud that's on the wall on the floor before that thing will stick. And so I spent like hours, like I'd put up like these sections of baseboards and I'd like turn around in 15 minutes and they fall all the way down. (laughs) I literally this week have only put up baseboards. But I say that because I want to give us an illustration for what season we're in with the series. It might seem that we're kind of dumbing down a little bit of our faith in terms of our scripture depth, and we're kind of focusing on the attributes of God in a little bit different way. But the reason for that is that no matter how sticky the truth is, when we hear God's truth through the word, through the Bible, no matter how sticky that is, if we have a cruddy foundation with stuff on it, it won't stick. And so what we need to do, what we're, our goal here is to kind of take a step backwards and we want to just relearn everything we know about God. We just want to scrape back down on the surface because we can live our entire life hearing those powerful truths that would change our lives, but if we don't have the capacity to have it stick, then it's not going to do us any good. And so I believe the reason that the Lord has us going through this, uh, these topics is because he wants to take us back to his heart. And these are, are things I've never heard uh, preached on, talked on ever in my life. And I'm using a lot from uh, a guy named Darren Hufford who wrote a book called The God's Honest Truth, and I recommend picking it up. <clears throat> but I'm trying to take you on a journey that would help us kind of get rid of all the stuff that we kind of accumulated in our faith that uh, God never said nor he intended. So if you have a, a Bible, you know we're, we're in 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 4, chapter 13, verse 4. And I'm going to read this. This is basically our, our main verse we're going to be on here for a long time. And it says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if we know our Bible, we know that First John 4, it says that God is love, and so what we can do is we can take an equation, we can look at every single attribute, and we can say we know everything about God through how love is defined. 
In our first week, we talked about love is patient. So this week, we're gonna talk about that love is kind or that God is kind. But let's start first with our understanding of love being kind. Every person in this room probably has somebody in their family, a friend, a relative that has been in a relationship that's been totally ruined by a spouse, a friend, a, a, a coworker, somebody that has treated them terribly. And they've maintained this relationship and, and maybe they've gone through incredible abuse, maybe they've been the subject of terrible words, but at the end of it, what do they do? They say, but I know they really love me, right? You'll, you'll go on describing all these terrible things and as you're like speaking the truth, you'll actually feel convicted like, but I know they really love me. It's kind of like Rihanna and Chris Brown is like, you have, you know, like, that doesn't look like love what's on your face. Like, those stitches, last time I checked, that doesn't look like what love is. But she's like, but I know he really loves me. And like, now they're back together, like, you know, you want to like throw up. And this is what we're looking to for romance? You got to be kidding. You know, like other things like the idea, I don't know if you've heard of the term called peacekeeping missiles, which make no sense at all. You know, but we have been accustomed to love not needing to be kind. When we say love is kind, it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other. We have no real concept of what that truly means. And it's become common knowledge with guys and, and people that women on average in dating relationships kind of like it when they're treated poorly. I, in, in high school, like it drove me so nuts, I formed this little two-person band, and we call ourselves the Dateless Losers. We dress up as nerds, and we would sing songs about this very thing. We wrote this song called Nice Guys Finish Last. It makes me want to hurl because the bad guy gets the girl. Nice guys finish. And, and we'd sing it all the time, and people were like, love it, you know? And we do this whole shtick about girls like liking the bad dude, you know? But I did get the girl, so I'm okay now. <laughs> But also something in high school that I, uh, I got involved in is, um, anybody like hate paying admission or, or hate paying for concerts or things like that? Nobody, everyone likes to do that. So I learned a little bit of graphic design, I got a printer, I got some creativity, and so I'd wanna go to these motocross races and I wanted to go like the VIP section, but I didn't wanna pay for it. And so, kind of putting my mind together, I actually manufactured my own VIP passes and would print them out, laminate them, put them on my neck, and I'd like walk into all like the trailers of all the best racers and everything. It was amazing. I got every autograph there was. And I just like made these counterfeit VIP passes. And nobody was a wiser. But a very funny thing about counterfeit is that as we go through the series and look at all the attributes about love and ultimately all the attributes about God is we'll find a counterfeit for every single one. Every single attribute that we will find about God will actually find the counterfeit. And what I'm seeing as we go through is all of us actually believe the counterfeit instead of the real thing. And so we're not gonna talk so much about kindness as much as the, the counterfeit that we've all been believing. And the counterfeit is so tricky because it seems so real, it, it smells and tastes and seems like it, and we have no idea. It's like the guy that's at the, the gate as I walk past. I mean, it says VIP, it has a little shiny lamb in it. I mean, it, it's, it's fine, it fools us. But upon closer examination, we actually find that we believe in a lie. And the great counterfeit of kindness, the great counterfeit of kindness is manipulation. Now, manipulation seems like kindness, but it has an agenda. Manipulation exists for another reason or motive. And the, the moment that an agenda or a motive is present, true kindness is voided out and manipulation arrives. True kindness must never have any 
motivation behind it besides love in order to exist. So the moment that anything nice that looks like, oh, that's nice, has an agenda, has a motive, we know that it's a manipulation. And this is precisely why if someone does something really, really nice for you, like awkwardly nice, your first inclination is not to be thankful, it's not to be like, oh, wow, that means so much to me. You're like, what do you want, you know? Right, it kind of makes you feel uncomfortable. You get suspicious, like, what do you want from me? Because we really don't believe that kindness stands on its own, as we'll find tonight. We become so used to manipulation that we don't even recognize manipulation anymore. Since manipulation has a motive, it keeps score, it keeps track, it remembers. I have a little video clip and I'm not sure if if this is gonna work. Can someone up in the booth thumbs up or thumbs down if if this is gonna work? We've had projector issues, we might try it. Um, But I have a video that illustrates this exactly about having an agenda and a a scorekeeping and then it builds upon itself and it becomes this vicious cycle and hopefully this will play and we can show you a little bit what it's like. Morning everybody. Who would like an authentic New York bagel? Hmm? Stanley? Oh no, no, no. I got a pumpernickel just for you. Wow. H&H, you went all the way to New York City to get us bagels? (laughs) Oh why, is there a place closer that sells them? This is really nice, Dwight. Thanks. Thanks. Oh, don't mention it. You owe me one. You all owe me one. Oh, Dwight, I have a little surprise for you. Let me guess. You ate the bagel I gave you and loved it. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) And I wanted to return the favor. I was polishing my loafers and I happened to look over and noticed that your briefcase was a little worse for the wear. So, a little elbow grease and she's polished right up back to her former glory. Oh. Build against your cheek. I will. You give me a gift, bam. Thank you, Note. You invite me somewhere, pow, RSVP. You do me a favor, wham, favor returned. Do not test my politeness. Let me get that door fixed. Oh, there we go. Thank you very much, man. I got it for you. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Thanks. You know, here's a healthy fitness tip. If you clench your buttocks together while walking, you can really take the pressure off your knees. Is that right? Observe. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> right? That really works. Yeah, feel free to use that yeah. anytime. Okay. Hey, hold, hold on a second. Do not walk around with your jacket, uh, cattywampus. And that needs oh. to be straight as an arrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> that... Oh, boy. Hey. Thank you very much for that. You are okay. welcome. Have a seat. Allow me. Uh, have Please. a seat yourself. You know what? I am going to preemptively change the batteries in your wireless mouse. Not necessary. (laughs) You didn't have to do that. Andy is complicating things, but I'm not worried. This will only up my game. What's going on? Stupid thing wedged up there. No one in this office will help me. (laughs) What if Dwight dies and I still owe him something? That is a recipe for a ghost. Oh, yeah. You're going to owe me big time. It's like a little envelope. There you go. Got it. Dwight. Starbucks gift card. Surprise! (laughs) It's for everybody. $15 value. Damn it. But you know what's funny about there? I mean, there you have Dwight, who he's got the total agenda. And then there's Andy, and he can't stand any kind thing done for him because he has to settle the score. It's a perfect illustration of two ends of this thing that we call kindness, which really all of us identify with manipulation more. And what I've found is that we, 
we actually prefer manipulation over kindness. The reason is that manipulation actually gives us an explanation and a logical response for something nice that happens. At least with manipulation, one can learn over time to read motives and they can find the reason and the the desire behind that. And it happens all the time. I don't want to call anybody out here, but it's not uncommon for a guy to go take a girl out, wine and dine, show up in all the fancy car, buy the most expensive meal, buy the best wine, and then stand at the doorstep of her apartment, peering in with an expectation. That there are motives that say, I'm going to give you an experience here, but I'm actually going to ask for something back a little bit later. Amen? You guys feel a little convicted right now. Not accusing anybody in here. I'm just saying. (laughs) But I think we all know that when we, maybe it's a, a, a childhood thing, especially for me, is that whenever I wanted something, I knew how to like kind of talk to mom in the right way. I knew how to do like the right things. She'd come out and use some like maybe drawing or something and she comes out and I'm vacuuming and she's like, what do you want, you know? Or maybe like I come by and like, mom, you know, have I ever told you how nice your hair looks, you know? Like, you know, I start buttering her up and I tell her like I wrecked the car, you know? Like we do these things all the time. We do these nice gestures so that in order we can be a part of the response. But we've come uh, to find that this very same form of manipulation is in the very thing that we desire with God that gets confused in religion. And it wasn't until studying just kindness and studying manipulation that I finally found uh, what I always knew to be true. And I've always known that religion is the counterfeit to a genuine relationship with God. But I never really knew because there's so many things that look and feel and, and seem like it. But it's important for us all to know, are you in a relationship with God or are you in a religion with God? Because the two are very different. And the difference is manipulation because religion being the counterfeit to relationship is driven by manipulation. Here's some examples. Religion says, you got salvation, now it's time to pay it back. Religion says, you really sinned. Now you better be in church every Sunday. Religion says, you got bad things in your life? Do you have unconfessed sin? Religion says, how dare you do that after what Jesus did for you? Religion says, you better get right before God's judgment sets you right. Maybe Eric Waterbury says that, I don't know. (laughs) You better get right before I set you right. It's probably more like it. Religion says, you want a blessing, you better be obedient. Now, religion in itself requires manipulating people with guilt in order to make them obedient. Like a kid who's forced to say, I'm sorry. You have a kid that maybe takes a toy and you're like, Billy, say you're sorry. No, say you're sorry, Billy. No, I'm gonna take away all of your toys unless you say I'm sorry. And he goes over and he says, I'm sorry. Do you think he's really sorry? No. We've learned this and actually we've learned also with with families that money is a great motivating tool. There are many people I know personally in here that have been manipulated by money with their parents. But my parents really love me, really? I think, you know, we we, kind of get the idea but sometimes we we lock all of these things in, in manipulation along with love and it's just not right. But religion will survive as long as people are feeling guilty about their salvation. None of, none of us should feel guilty at all about what Christ did for us on the cross. 
But so so many times that's just the often feeling that we feel. It's like, wow, I just feel so unworthy. Why? It wasn't yours to contribute to anyways. When we really understand the gift of our salvation, we walk in the joy of it. We don't feel guilty because our actions said it was a waste. It's never a waste. God did it before he even knew you, before you even knew him. He went and paid for all of your sins for past, future, present, all in one swoop. That's why he says in 1 Peter 3.18 that Christ died for sins once for all because he knew that we would try and get in the mix and he knew that we would try and play a part of the equation. And so if you're feeling guilty about your salvation, be set free. Christ isn't worried about what you did wrong. There's nothing that he's thinking about. I didn't prepare for this on the cross. He's got it all. The biggest, the biggest bummer I think that, that we can give our faith is to be ashamed of our salvation, that it's going to waste. When we feel that our salvation is going to waste by the way we behave, I think we're grieving the heart of God. Because he's like, there's no shame. There's no guilt. There's no obligation. My salvation is a gift. There's no obligation in a gift. And so no wonder Christianity is in decline. We talked about this several weeks ago because religion has gotten into the mix of relationship. We've allowed the modern church to take kindness of God and turn it into manipulation. Are you guys with me? And this is the exact spirit that drives people away from God, is that you come into an atmosphere where people are being reminded of their guilt, reminded of their shame, reminded of their sin, and no wonder they're fleeing the church. It's time we actually like recognize salvation for the gift, the power of God as a gift, not as this obligation that demands all these other things that you follow all these rules. Now there's a difference between being obedient, living as a son and a daughter, living as royalty of the king, that is who we are, but it's another thing to be totally beat down by the weight of our own salvation. But the hard thing is that it's really difficult for us to accept kindness because true kindness makes us feel uncomfortable. Manipulation, not so much. But true kindness actually makes us feel quite uncomfortable. It produces questions in our mind. It makes us uneasy. It no longer makes logical sense so our minds are so accustomed to manipulation that we have to try and like tell ourselves there's no motive here when we actually encounter real kindness. And it has nothing to gain. It defies all human logic and it makes us feel helpless and insecure. And here's why it makes us feel insecure is because we lose control in the presence of kind acts. When, when true God hard kindness happens to us, we feel insecure because now we're not in control. With manipulation, we are in control. And sometimes the natural response, and I'm gonna guess that every one of us feels this way, is that when we encounter true kindness, we feel indebted to that person. You can't go and have someone buy you a burrito without saying, I'll get it next time, right? I know somebody that, uh, uh, you know, was around my mom. If anybody ever goes to Portland, Oregon, you need to stop by my folks' house. Um, My mom is like, her, you are so cute. My mom is like the, one of the best gift givers ever, and it really comes from the heart. But there is somebody who is used to a gift always being a form of manipulation. There's always something in return. And so the more my mother would kind of give these like great gifts, finding the perfect shoe size, giving you robes of your favorite color, lining the bed with all your favorite candy, I mean these, these crazy things, the more debted the, this person felt. And so the the kinder that she was, the more debt was building up in this person and they just want to be let off the hook. They felt the sense that I need to repay, I need to settle the score. 
And real acts of kindness, if we are used to manipulation, actually are a burden for us. And the more it happens, the more pressure we feel to return it. But true kindness, it cannot be repaid. Once it's, it's been done, it doesn't want to be repaid, it can't be repaid. But real kindness is inspired by love and nothing else, there's no explanation for it. It just results from love. Have you ever received something and immediately thought that God wants something back from you in return? I've had like a really good like year and a half or, or two. And the old self of, of, of mine would, would want to actually be on guard because when good things happen, I used to think one of two things. I either thought, well, really bad times are coming up, so I better not enjoy this too much. Because everything happens for a reason, right? I'm gonna like be humbled now, you know? That's not true at all. Or the other side of it was that I needed to give God something back in return that I can't receive a blessing, I can't receive favor, I can't receive something positive without giving God something back in return. I remember when uh, Kim and I started dating. <clears throat> There's nothing like something that you want that will cause you to go to God more, you know, pray more. But I remember when we were dating, my prayer life was like rocking. I was like, dear Jesus, give me this woman. You know, like I was like on my knees every day and I was like in, my attendance at church was amazing. Like, oh man, I was like the righteous boy. I was like trying to give myself a little halo. Like, I was like, if I'm really, really good, God would, you know, give me like the woman I'm pursuing. It's not biblical, I'm sorry. For those of you I just disappointed, I'm sorry. But I can take myself out of that running. I'm not trying to say that you can't screw dating relationships up because amen, you can, right? On your own effort. But what happens is that we slowly get in this combination where we, we, we do something maybe that's positive for God and something positive just randomly happens at work and we wanna connect the two. Our minds can't handle that God would give us a blessing without any other reason, without any other cause, but because we're his son and daughter. That's one of the most powerful things we can know is that even when you are in the worst moment of your worst sin possible, God in his character would still give you the greatest blessing of your entire life and have no problem with it. There's been something that says, if I am in sin, if I am in struggle, then I've taken myself out of the running of the goodness of God. That until I get my record straight, until I get my path aligned, until I figure myself out, that God is gonna withhold good things from his children. Isn't that manipulation? Or that we have to earn it, like we have to come and pay God, or, or this, is, this is something like that's common in churches is that uh, they'll take an offering collection, right? And like whatever year you're contending for, just sow into that offering plate, you know, and God will receive it. The last time I considered paying somebody for something in return, I thought that was called prostitution, you know, in that sense. I'm sorry. <laughs> now, let me just reel this one back in just a tad. <clears throat> now, tithing and giving to God is great. Why? It's because we as human beings, we're so quick to put our trust in money. We're so quick to put trust in money. And we give because it helps us identify where our trust is. It's in God, it's not in money. 
But the reason why we have our offering the way it is, we don't, we don't go around, we don't say, you know, hey, if you really need that job, just you know, put a little more on that offering plate and we believe that God is gonna give you that job. I don't find that in the character of God, I'm sorry. And what we have here is we have these like, you know, gosh, scavenger hunt style for a little tin plate. Maybe you'll find an envelope. Maybe it'll get to somebody if you put money into it. I don't know. I mean, like, it is, it is bad economy for us as a ministry to take the offering that we, that we do. But I'll tell you what, our offering is doubled every year. Why is it? Because I believe that people love God's house. People give out a love of God. They give out a love of, of who God is. Not because they feel obligated, not because they want something in particular but they want to see their hearts be obedient to where their trust is. You guys with me? Yes. All righty. Now the problem in worshiping a manipulative God is that it has become normal for us. But this has nothing to do with the heart of God. This mentality is not conducive to any relationship. And if we believe that God uses manipulation, then we will be forever handicapped in our sin. Because our theology says that God is going to withhold good as long as we're in sin. As long as we struggle, we are going to go into this dark absence period. But what does the scripture say about this? It says Romans 2.4. It says this, it says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Amen. It totally offends our theology. That if, if you are being driven to an altar call because you feel guilty, that is not the spirit of God calling you. What is ever causing guilt in you, make no mistake about it, there is no guilt and shame in the spirit of God. And so if you are in a church service and you are feeling guilty, don't go to the front. You're being spoken to by the wrong spirit. When we hear the word of God and we feel him calling us forward, saying, son, daughter, there's something better. Step up to something better. It's like having a dirty diaper. It's like you can stay in that diaper for as long as you want or we can change it, you know? I think God is just fine. He's like, I'll change that diaper whenever you want, but the fresh diaper's up here. Sorry for the baby analogy. I got a one-year-old at home, a lot of diapers. But we must detach guilt from our repentance because it's not biblical. This is the kindness of God. His wooing you, his I'm calling you back to myself. That's not who you are, son and daughter. Come back. That is the Father's heart. That is what leads us to change but until you are able to receive authentic kindness, until you are able to receive authentic kindness, you will never, ever know the heart of God. Why? It's because the gift on the cross requires you to receive it authentically without any obligation. And as long as you feel you have to pay off your salvation, you will never encounter the authentic heart of God because you're gonna be chasing religion. You're gonna be chasing behavior. The heart of God is kindness with no return at all. Millions of people that are saved will never ever have an authentic relationship with God because they really believe that the cross was manipulative. Amen? Think about it. Smart people know that there is no relationship where there's manipulation. You will never give your heart to someone you know is manipulative. Your heart's too valuable. Why would you do it? If you know this person is gonna be uh, messing with your heart and is gonna be pulling you around, you will not give your heart to them. 
And so if you believe that God can be manipulated, you will never give your heart to him and he will never have yours. So how do you know if it's kindness? Kindness always reaches the heart. These things, the the jobs, the finances, the cars, whatever, those things pass away, but issues of the heart, they remain forever. And kindness is an attribute of love and love lasts forever, so kindness must be aimed at the forever part of us. But niceness is not kindness. Niceness is like, I open the door for you, you know, I hand you the salt. You know, like there's a couple nice things we can do. But nice and kind are not the same thing. But niceness reaches the flesh and the head. But most people don't know the difference because we're fooled by the imitation, right? I mean, we've gotten so confused. Our head doesn't know the difference between pleasing our flesh or the sensation of our hearts becoming a lie because we've linked the two. Case in point, I can count, and I'm not trying to pick on ladies, I'm sorry, it's just, forgive me. There are a few people right now in my life that they are, are with people that are terrible, terrible. There's no way that the heart is feeling good, but the mouth from the man makes her think that she's feeling good. It makes her think that she's being loved. I'm going to say that again. There are incredible amounts of people who will stay with the wrong people because the opposite sex will make them feel pretty or attractive. It has nothing to do about love. When we're able to withstand manipulation and withstand mistreatment all for the sake of being told that I'm pretty or being told I'm attractive or being told I'm desirable, we have manipulation, we don't have kindness, we don't have love. Are you with me? We feed the flesh but starve the heart because we become blinded to the truth of what God really says kindness is. Acts of kindness don't necessarily need to come from a kind heart either. Evil people do nice things all the time. It's not that hard. But we must never confuse the two. They're miles apart. Niceness is appreciated. Because kindness, kindness says, how are you doing? No, I'm sorry. Niceness says, how are you doing? Kindness wants to know. I mean, anybody can say, hey, how are you doing? And you can actually tell them, like, you're like, yeah, like, my woman left me, my dog got ran over, and... You know, I have a flat tire. They're like, oh, that's awesome, bro, good week. So yeah, so anyway, so did you see the game last night? And they will have completely missed it. Anyone can act out kindness. But most of the time, it's just that. It's just an act. I don't know if you've ever recognized that as a ministry, we don't have a formal outreach program. It's been mentioned a couple times. We don't have a formal outreach program. I'm not trying to knock outreach programs. But here's my philosophy. My philosophy is is we allow people to encounter the real heart of God. We allow people to transform their lives here. We'll have the biggest outreach team out there the whole entire world has ever known. My problem with a lot of ways that other groups try and do outreach is they're like, we are an outreach group, so we need to think about ways to outreach. And I kind of feel like our purpose is that God says they will know you by your love. And so we will do any outreach we want, but it has to be rooted in love, not because we need to put something on the calendar, not because it's what other people do. And so I don't want to be in the business of us propagating a a faith where we're motivated by the reason we ought to because it's a good thing to do. I don't want to do good things. I want to do the right things. And the right things is, is, is encountering this generation, this world with love. But the problem is that modern Christianity, I believe, doesn't know what love really is. 
True kindness originates from the heart and it always reaches the heart. A kind person is like an expert marksman. I mean, they have like, you know, sniper rifle. They hit the center of the heart every time. A kind eye knows exactly where to aim because their heart loves the target they're aiming for. And a kind thing, a kind thing always hits the heart because it is directed by love. There have been many things that have have been uh, given, done for me that have hit my heart in the most amazing ways. There's one particular instance that happened two years ago. There's a few people from our group here. And uh, if if you know a little bit about me, you know I love the snow. And uh, you kind of know like maybe some of my background history about how I used to always pray for snow in Portland, Oregon. It snows like once every five years there. And, but I loved snow. And so it was my birthday coming up in, this was two years ago, and remember it was like the, is Sacramento gonna get snow for the first time, you know, kind of deal. And uh, I'm like, dear God, please, I'll build a church in your name. You know, like, I'm going through the whole routine, right? So it's like my birthday, and it was like around then, and um, it's midnight, and I'm waking out at like this like crazy noise. I'm like, what is going on? The dog is like barking. I'm like, what is going on? I open the door, and in flies in a snowball. <laughs> I'm in my pajamas, blurry-eyed. I sleep with my contacts in. I can't even see. I'm like, what is happening? There's snow flying in. I try and step out. I run into snow, and there were, I think, four or five people from this group that they went up to the mountain, filled a truck full of snow, and covered my front yard with snow. I think we have a couple photos of it. I, I built a snowman in my front yard. <laughs> my dog was like, what is going on? <laughs> and so we had a snowball fight at like, until like two in the morning. Like as soon as I saw what was going on, I shut the door, I ran, I like got my like snow gear on, I came out and we had like this hour long snowball fight. It was absolutely amazing. Now those are the things that originated in the heart that are meant from the heart. I don't have any sense of obligation to repay that back. You can't, how do you do that? And it was such a selfless act that really connected my heart. It was one of my most favorite moments of any relationship I've ever had. And it's like, that is the essence of where our salvation comes. That is the essence from how God speaks to us. It speaks to us in a way and when we weren't preparing, we weren't thinking, we didn't think it was possible and God said, I'm gonna go up to the mountain while you're asleep. I'm gonna think about you all day, plan it all out. I'm gonna bring all this back. I'm gonna surprise you because I love you. Because that's what my heart is for you. We need to know that God's sole focus when he looks at you is is he's looking only at your heart. You know what that means? Is that when God is 100% focused on your heart, that means he's not focused on your sin, amen? Just when we think God's gonna call you out on your lust problem, he tells you that you are loved and he's proud of you. Just when you think God is going to expose your excessive gossip habit, he whispers that you are indeed worthy of friendship and you should trust that about yourself. Right when you think God is gonna chastise you for smoking, he calmly tells you about the wonderful future he has for you. Nothing ever makes sense with God, right? because true kindness doesn't make sense. I have the band up and we're gonna close with this. Remember I said that any rational person will not give their heart 
to somebody who manipulates. As long as we understand our relationship with God, and as long as there's obligation, as long as there's guilt, as long as there is conviction, we will never be able to fully give God our heart. And also, if we believe that we can manipulate God, if we believe that our actions will change his favor, will change what we receive from him, he will never have our heart. Why? It's because we will never give our heart to somebody that we can manipulate first. It is far easier to manipulate than it is to do a genuine relationship. And so if we think that we're playing this scoreboard game with God, if we think that if we do all these things that God will change his behavior, if if we're in that mindset, we are miles away from having the heart of the Father and your heart together. And there's a problem if if God never has your heart and if you never have his, is is if you never encounter that, you'll never have intimacy. And if you never have intimacy with God, you will remain powerless in life. And if you remain powerless in life, then you are subject to the outcomes of this world. And if you are subject to the outcomes of this world, you will become bitter. And if you become bitter, you will resent God and you'll resent yourself forever being created. And when you resent yourself and God, you'll reap brokenness in every area of your life because brokenness is all the world has to offer apart from Jesus, amen? Let's stand and let's pray.